Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. So would you guys welcome Pastor Charles Young? Over the interstate traffic. And I felt like God said, Hey, consider Ocala. 
So we go to Ocala, and, uh, and uh, I'm driving through Ocala. And I go through Ocala, and I pray that prayer like we all pray. God, if this is where you want me to go, this is where you want me to be, show me a sign. You know the prayer. <laughs> show me a sign, God. Which is ironic because as I'm praying that prayer, I look up at a billboard. In the billboard, this was February of 2019, one month into the year. And this billboard says that already in 2019, there had been 52 opioid overdoses right there in Marion County. Well, my story is uh, I, I was a, a drug addict, faced 17 years in prison, in and out of jails and rehabs. And as I see this guy dangling off the overpass, I thought to myself, he's lost all hope for life. And then as I see this billboard, 52 people that have overdosed, they've lost all their future. And God kind of laid on my heart and began to say this to me, and, and he speaks to me a little bit differently, but... Uh, he he, he kind of dropped in my heart, even though this isn't a sexy city. We don't have the parks. We don't have the beaches. We don't have all the stuff. There's still people that need to know who I am. As I was driving through the city this morning, I told Scott, I said, man, let me just drive through the city and just kind of see. Come on, it's the metropolis. <laughs> I'm driving around here, and I felt the same thing. Even though this isn't this sexy city. Right? You don't have the sky rises. You don't have much stuff. There's still people here that need to know the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's going to start. I believe it's going to start. It's already started. You're seeing salvations. You're seeing restorations. And, and really what I want to share with you today, if you're taking notes, it's this title, Not Dead, Just Asleep. But Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for what you've already done. Your presence is here. God, you're before us. We're going to receive everything that you have for us. Father, we thank you. Every heart, every mind in this room, I pray that you would begin to tear down walls that is preventing them from experiencing and hearing your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Not dead, just asleep. Well, uh, how, how many of y'all just love your in-laws? You, you, you have in-laws, you love your in-laws. Come on, you better raise your hand if they're in here. Um, how many of you just have a trouble, just have trouble with your in-laws? Just be honest. I do. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so my in-laws, you know, they, they live on property. They don't live where we live. They actually live about two hours from us. And uh, they live on property. And when I tell you they live on property, they have everything you could possibly imagine when it comes to animals. They have donkeys. They have chickens. They have, they have goats. They have, uh, they have monkeys. They have two capuchin monkeys. Their monkey cage is bigger than some of our houses. It's 2,000 square foot monkey cage. Like, what the heck? I mean, you know, like, they, they have everything in the world out there. And um, and I love to go out there at times because it's very peaceful, it's tranquil, you just kind of go out there, you're out on property, it's just this beautiful place, and I'm able to kind of get away from the hustle and bustle, just relax a little bit, hang out a little bit. But I hate going over there at the same time because my father-in-law is a workaholic. I mean, my father-in-law, literally, every single time I go to their house, I will go in, drop my bags, and he says, Hey, boy, come on. We're going to go build a fence out there. And I'm like, I don't want to build a fence. I'm here to hang out. He said, No, nah, man, we got to get inside. we got to lay the saw. we got to go prepare a fence line. I'm like, bro, I don't want to do nothing. I just let me chill. And uh, so the other day, we're, we're going to my in-laws because he owns this electrical company. They had this big event in Texas. And... So we go over there, and my mother-in-law calls us and says, Hey, uh, can y'all come over and take care of the animals? Can you go take care?
we're going to be gone. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is going to be a great weekend. My in-laws aren't there. Father-in-law can't make me work. Come on, you know. I, I, just, I, just, I just get to sit back, swim, get in the jacuzzi, hang out. I'm just going to chill. So my wife and I, we, uh, we get there, we take care of the animals, we feed the animals, we feed our kids, 100 of them, and uh, we feed our kids. We get them to bed early. Come on, that's, that's just, that right there is a task. We got them to bed early, like 7 o'clock early. And I look at my wife and I'm like, what are we going to do? We got all this time, we got this space. Let's watch a movie, let's recline, let's relax a little bit. So we literally get on the couch, we find a show, we watch a movie. As we're watching this movie, I kid you not, we start to hear all this chaos outside. I'm like, what in the world is going on outside? And Brian looks at me and she says, Charles, you need to go see what's going on. I get up off the couch and I walk over to the door and I begin to look out the window and, and there is a full-blown raccoon turf war going on outside. <laughs> They're fighting the cats. They got their arm in the chicken pen. They got their arm in the monkey pen. I mean, they're like bowing up on everybody. I, I feel like I just saw them throwing up game size. Like, yeah, this is my turf man. Like, what, what is happening? I mean, they're going after everything. <clears throat> and I come back, my wife's like, what's going on out there? And I said, baby, there is a full-blown war going on outside. There are about 10 raccoons, and they're taking over everything. She said, Charles, you better go outside and do something. I'm like, baby, there's 10 of them and one of me. <laughs> she looked at me, and she says, Charles, go do something. I'm like, glad to know where your love lies. You know what I mean? I'm like, the heck's going on? I literally, I go outside, and as I walk outside, I walk around the corner, and you, you know that kind of that, like, half scared, half don't know what to do mindset. It's just like, shoot, shoot, you know, just get on out of here, go, you know, just get up, what? just get out of here. All these raccoons, man, they begin to run off everywhere except for this one. One, one crazy raccoon. All the raccoons crumble. This one raccoon, he turns around and he looks at me and he threw his paws up like, kind of like, what? I'm like, dog, that ain't no raccoon, that's a crackoon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> got a hold of the wrong stuff. This raccoon's crazy. I said, hey, get out of here. And he just, he just hits at me. I'm like, all right, bro, you're good, you're good. Stay here. I'm going back inside. I walk inside and I sit down and Brian says, hey, you take care of it? I'm like, baby, I took care of it. I got this. Except for this one. She said, baby, go take care of that thing. I'm like, I don't want rabies. You know, like, I don't want to die. Go take care of it. So I go outside and I grab this pellet gun. It's this pellet gun that my father-in-law had for the laundry room for the grandkids. And I grab this pellet gun and I literally am walking outside and I'm pumping this pellet gun up. Give it one or two extra pumps, you know what I mean? And I sit, and this raccoon, they kind of climbed up into a tree. And I look through this little scope, and I'm like, oh, yeah, baby. And I shoot the raccoon. Bah! And as soon as I shoot this raccoon, this raccoon literally goes limp in the tree. Boom. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I didn't want to kill it. I just wanted to stink it and run it off. So I was like, well, i got to dispose of the evidence, because now my wife's going to kill me because she's an animal lover. 
So I go up to the tree, and this raccoon is literally laying in the tree, and I go to push it with the edge of the gun, the, the end of the rifle, and, uh, and, and as I push on the raccoon, this raccoon comes alive, and it, ah! it jumps out of the tree onto me, and I'm like, ah! I go back inside, my wife said, did you handle it? I'm like, I handle it, let's watch the movie, you know? We're in this. <coughs> You're probably thinking, what? Charles, in the world are you talking about? I get this quite often. But here's, here's what I want to kind of relate to you today. And see, I think a lot of times we can walk through life looking at a situation thinking it's dead, but the reality is it's just asleep. There's so many things in our lives that we can walk through and we can look at this situation and we can really begin to analyze this situation and thinking, man, this, this situation is dead. The situation is dead. We can look at an individual and we can begin to write them off. Oh, they'll never change. There's no hope there. There's no restoration there. We can, we can begin to look at our marriages, looking at one another, wondering, man, where did the intimacy go? Where did the romance go? Where, what happened to us? Because at one time, I can look at you and think, oh, yeah, man, I, I, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I, I committed under a covenant to God. And yes, the, the you know good days and bad days, we can commit to one another. Then the other side of it is we think, where did it go? I, I don't know if I love you anymore. I don't know if I can be with you anymore. I'm not really sure I can hang out with you anymore. I'm going to tell you this. The reason why a lot of those things happen is because there's secrecy within our narratives. And I'll tell you this, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. <coughs> we can look at our marriage and think, man, there's no hope, there's no life there, there's nothing there to give, I, I'm not really sure. We can begin to think that our kids are just too far gone for change. We can look at them and we can be praying and crying out, man, God, I don't know where they're at, I don't know what they're doing, but there's no hope for my kids. You just don't know. I think a lot of us can really take an inward look at our lives, our own lives, and begin to say things to ourselves like, man, I'm just too far gone. I've strayed away from the gospel. I've strayed away from the truth. I've, I've strayed away from the church. It's been 10 years. It's been five years. It's been three months. I just don't know. It's just, it's just too far gone. I'm not really sure. If I can come back, I'm not really sure if there's life there. I'm telling you today that your situation is not dead. It's just asleep. All you need to have is a little bit of crazy faith. Everybody say crazy faith. You gotta have some crazy faith. You gotta, you gotta dig down deep inside your soul and your spirit, and you gotta say, no. I know that I feel dead, I know that I feel numb, I know that I feel lost, I know that I feel betrayed, but, but there's something down, deep down inside where it feels numb, it feels dead. But I'm here to tell you today, church, that you're not dead, your situation's not dead, your season's not dead, your marriage is not dead, your life is not dead, it's just asleep. Matthew chapter 9, 
It says this. It says, while he was saying this, talking about Jesus, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Everybody say praise and faith. Praise and faith. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Everybody say crazy faith. <laughs> Jesus turned and saw her and says, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes. He said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the, took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread throughout all the region. Well, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I read the Gospels or when I read Scripture in general, sometimes... I just begin to kind of read words. The words necessarily in those, in those moments to me, they don't really kind of paint a picture. They don't really come alive. They just kind of are words. I don't, I don't know if you're like that or not, but a lot of times when I read, I just kind of find myself just reading in just an ongoing paragraph, an ongoing sentence, just a, a run-on page. So I have to stop sometimes and just think, okay, let me just put myself here. I'm a very visual learner. I like to... And I like to kind of picture myself in the moment. And so what we're reading right here is we're reading where Jesus is going around. He's going from town to town and he's preaching the gospel and he's praying for people. He's healing the sick. He's doing all of these different things. And there's a synagogue leader that comes up to Jesus and begins to tell Jesus, like, Jesus, I don't know if this is at all possible for you. And I have traveled very far to find you. Come on, they didn't have GPS back in the day. They didn't have, you know, Instagram saying, oh, Jesus is over here. You know, you need to come down here and hang out with Jesus. No, no, no. It was like, hey, where is he at? So the synagogue leader, man, he's, he's trying to track down Jesus because he knows that if he can just get to Jesus, if he can have this conversation with him, and Jesus will come to his house, a miracle can take place goes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, my daughter, she's been dead for a very long time. Been dead for hours. But if you can just come and lay your hands on my daughter, oh, all things will be made well. So Jesus begins to walk to the synagogue leader's house, and in the process of that, we read that a lady who has been bleeding for 12 years constantly is trying to fight through the crowd because she's realized that Jesus is there. So here's this lady who has been subject to bleeding for years of her life, but really then at that time, if that was a, a, an issue and a problem for you, women, when they were, when they were, uh, trying to watch my words here, but you know, when they were in the, that moment, they would literally lock themselves up and they would isolate themselves from society. Well, here's this lady who's been subject to bleeding for years. It does not stop. So now society has ostracized this woman. She doesn't get out in the community. She doesn't get out in public. She doesn't get out and show her face. No, 
Bible doesn't say this. Like I said, I like to kind of picture myself here. It doesn't say this at all, but I, I can kind of picture Jesus maybe easing up on this dead girl. This, she's laying down. I can maybe picture Jesus kind of coming up and maybe being like sad or maybe just kind of like, I, I don't really know, but I, I imagine Jesus walking up to this dead girl and maybe bending down a little bit and whispering in her ear, baby girl, I know this seems like a bad dream. I, I know it feels like your life is over. I, I, I know it feels like you've got nothing left to give, but I'm here to tell you today that's, that's going to be okay. He grabs the girl by the hand. And the Bible at the end says she gets up and she begins to walk. And news spread all over the region. My question to you today is this. How many times are we like the crowd? How many times are we like the crowd? Where we begin to look at something, where we begin to look at a season, we begin to look at a situation, we begin to look at an individual, where we begin to look in the mirror at ourselves, and we begin to laugh or we begin to write it off because we look at the things in the natural and say to ourselves, there's no hope. How many times are we like a crowd? There's no change. There's no way this is going to happen. You're mean to tell me that this girl's not dead, she's just asleep? How many times are we laughing at Jesus when he is there to be in your midst? When Jesus arrives on the scene and you feel it in your heart, I know I need to make a change. I know I need to confess. I know I need to repent. I know I need to commit. I know I need to serve. I know I need to be deeper in the church. I know I need to invite more people. I know I need to share the gospel. I know you're calling me to be a missionary. I know you're calling me to do great things. And we look at ourselves and we look and we laugh and we're like, there's no way, God. You wouldn't call me. You wouldn't restore this. You don't, you don't know how bad our marriage is. You don't know how bad this situation is. Do you know me? Yeah, I, I understand you can do it for everybody else, but God, there's no way you can do that for me. How many times are we like the crowd? And Jesus is there all along saying, man, just let me in. Just, 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 just let me arrive on the scene. Just let me in. Don't, don't push me away. Don't ask me for help and then push me away when it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Don't, don't do that. We say there's no way that can change. There's no way that can be restored. And all along, God is just waiting for us to come to him and say, if you would just come and touch this situation. He's there. He's waiting. In Revelation, in Revelation 3, I think it says that, that he's there, knocking, waiting for us to open up the door for him to come in and dine with us and be with him and, and, and us with him. God is always there. He's ready to do a miracle. He's ready to touch that situation. He's ready to bring that dead thing alive once again. Question is, are we like the crowd? 
know, some years ago, I had a friend of mine, like I said, I was addicted to drugs pretty bad and in and out of rehabs and jails and had a buddy of mine we used to run together and um, as we were running together, as we were doing these things together, I had this moment, this aha moment where God and the Holy Spirit, I can look back now and I know exactly what it is. At the time, I had no clue what it was. But I can look back now and I realize, man, that the power of God completely transformed who I was. This guy had blue hair with white tips. I mean, I just I was just that guy that you would see on the news or on the street. I just I was that guy. And God radically transformed my life. And I think about this, you know, those that are radically saved say radically. Yeah. And I thought to myself at that time, I was like, man, I've got to do something. I, I, I've got to let everybody know. I've got to let my friends know. I've got to let the world know. I can't contain this any longer. I can't hold this any, any, any longer. Yeah, they may look dead, but the power of God can change them. And I begin to go out on the streets. I begin to go and witness to people. I would literally go out 2, 3 o'clock in the morning trying to find people out on the streets just to share the gospel with them. I would invite everybody to church. I'd invite everybody. Man, hey, you know Jesus? Man, let me tell you what he's done in my life. I'm not saying you need to be a weirdo. But I'm saying you need to share the miracle that God has done. There's power in your testimony. And I'll just share them. I, hey, let me, can I just share with you what God has done in my life? And I'm going to do that. Well, a buddy of mine named Justin, he, man, he just kind of stayed in that lane. He stayed doing the party scene. He stayed out on the streets. He, 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 it, was, it was really bad. I would let him come to my house because he would be filthy and dirty. And then come to my house, he could take a shower and get some food. <clears throat> then he would go out on the streets again. He would come. I started to find that things were missing. And he would steal things. And I began to think to myself, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to serve him any longer. I don't want to help him any longer. I'm finished. Come on, I had this like compassion fatigue where I was just like, bro, he's not getting it. He's dead. I just kind of backed off. I didn't reach out to him, didn't talk to him any longer. Where a few months later, I get a phone call. And as I get this phone call, on the other end of the line, they said, Hey, have you heard about Justin? I said, No, I haven't. And they said, uh, Well, you can send me some ears in the room. They, they begin to tell me that he, he ended up taking, taking, you know, ending everything. And I remember at that moment when I, when I heard the news and and I heard what he did, how he did it. It broke my heart. I remember going to the wake, just sitting there at the wake, just thinking to myself, man, why, God? He's this 21-year-old kid who, man, would light up a room if he came here. Like, God, why? Why did you save me and not him? He was my best friend. Like, why me? Why the grace on my life and not grace on his life? Like, all these questions start going through our heads all the time, right? God, why didn't you do that for them and you won't do it for me? Why'd you heal them and you're not healing me? Why'd you restore them and you're not restoring me? All these questions. I'm sitting there at this funeral, crying, I'm angry, I'm angry at God, and I'm thinking to myself, why? And there was a point at that funeral where I had to make a shift. I began to think to myself, I'm not dead. 
just asleep. Because I question myself, what if I didn't give up? What if I would have continued to reach out to you? What if? I mean, I could play the if game all day long, right? Is it my job to change people or is it my job to love them? Is it your job to change people or is it your job to love them? Listen, the Holy Spirit's job is to change and convict. It's God's job to judge. So we need to take that off of us right now. I'm going to tell you right now, the church has done a great job of judging people. Can I, can I just press pause on this message for a second? Maybe this is for somebody in the room. Can I apologize on behalf of the Bible and Jesus in heaven? That I am sorry if you've ever encountered a so-called believer who has judged you or persecuted you because you were going through something tough? Can I apologize, man, if you've been divorced and they said, oh, man, you're going to hell? Can I apologize for somebody that says, oh, you're doing this, you're living this life, you're going to go to hell? Can I apologize? Because that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Every single day there were 
hundreds and thousands of people that were just dropping dead. And every single day they're having to dig these cemeteries. And they begin to run out of room going wide. And so what they had to figure out is they begin to dig deep, dig lower. And so they're now stacking bodies on top of bodies because it was killing people rampantly. Just wiping people out. They finally had gotten to the point that this plague had killed so many people that they had to redig up the bodies, throw those away, and put new bodies in the ground. So the disease didn't spread anymore. They had, they had to get rid of bodies. And, and as they're digging these bodies up, the bubonic plague was so rapid, so rampant, they couldn't keep up. So they dig these caskets, these wooden caskets out of the ground. And as they dig these wooden caskets out of the ground, they begin to lift the tops off. And as they're lifting the tops off, they see claw marks in the casket. And they realize that they were burying people alive. See, what the bubonic plague was, was you would get this sickness and they didn't have the instruments, they didn't have the doctors, they didn't have the medicine like we do today. So they would literally go and they would try to fill a pulse on their neck or on their wrist. And the bubonic plague, what it would do, it was actually, it would make your heart rate go down so low that your pulse was undetectable, but you still had a pulse. And as they're digging these people up, they realized that they were literally burying them alive. And so they came up with this plan. They, they took a string and they began to tie the string around their wrist. And the string would literally go up to the top of the ground. And at the top of the ground, they would have this bell. And as they would have this bell there, they would have someone sitting by the bell. That's where we get the saying today, saved by the bell or graveyard ship. They would have a person sitting by the bell. And as they're sitting by the bell, someone would wake up and they would begin to see where they are. They begin to see this casket, this darkness. There would begin to be this panic going on. And as they would begin to panic, the bell on top of the ground would begin to ring. Let me ask you this question. Can you hear the bells ringing in your marriage? Can you hear the bells ringing with your coworkers? Can you hear the bells ringing in your neighborhood? Can you hear the bells ringing in your community? Can you hear the bells ringing with your children? Can you hear the bells ringing in your city, in your county, where people are realizing, I am trapped in this darkness and I just need to get out. I just need an escape. I need to get out. I need some help. And there's bells ringing all around us. So I'm going to tell you today that there are people around you in this neighborhood, in this city, down the road. There are people around you, guess what, that are going through the same things you are. And they want to know one thing. Am I loved? Or do I have value? And I'm going to tell you right now, the only way that you or anybody else can ever feel that is through the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus Christ. And I don't know who's in this room today or what you may be walking with, but I'm going to tell you that today God wants to do a miracle in your life. 
He wants to spark marriages. He wants to spark a calling, spark a passion. He wants to create a business on the inside of you so that you can be a kingdom builder, kingdom giver, that you can multiply the kingdom of heaven with your resources. He wants to do so many things on the inside of you. You have to answer this question. Am I like the crowd that's laughing? Or am I like the synagogue leader or the woman with blood that's approaching? Come on, every head bowed, every eyes closed, I'm going to ask you this question. With everybody in this room, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not really sure how Mike does this, but I really feel like this is what we need to do this morning. You may be in this room this morning and you say, you know what, Charles, man, that's me. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at in my life. That's what I'm walking through. It's what I'm going through. I just, I just feel this disconnect. I feel like I'm dead. I feel like my situation's dead. I feel like there is no hope left in me. There's no hope left in my life. There's no hope left in my season. But today, Charles, man, I want hope back today. I want hope restored. I want my future built. Charles, I, I, I want to be able to acknowledge, I want to be able to receive all that God has for my life. You're in here today and you say, man, I need more of Jesus in my life because at points in my life, I've been like the noisy crowd where I've laughed. Where I've pushed away when Jesus is knocking in some of them, some of you right now, he's knocking on your heart right now. And you're in here this morning and you say, man, can you just pray with me because I need my hope restored and I need my future built. I need to come back home to Jesus. If that's you, just slip up a hand. I just want to pray for you. One, two, three, four. Father, I pray for the hands that were lifted. I pray over their life. I pray over their season. I pray over their marriages. I pray over their children. I pray over their jobs. Lord, I pray that there would be a spark on the inside like never before. Father, I pray right now that as they leave these doors today, God, that there would be an anointing that would fall over their lives like never before. That they would receive the glory. That there would be an open window of heaven that is just pouring down love on them like never before. Come on, if you're in this room today, I want to ask you this question. If you say, you know what, Charles? I just need boldness in my life. I need boldness in my life because I hear the bells ringing, but I'm just a little afraid. Everybody look at me real quick. I do this in my church all the time. I'm sorry if this is your church. I'm sorry, man. But I think this. This is what I, I really believe this. If you can't be bold in here, you're not going to be bold out there. So I want to ask you this question. If you're in this room today and you say, you know what, Charles? I need boldness in my life to share the gospel. I need boldness in my life to share my story. I need boldness in my life to reach out to those where I hear the bells ringing, but I'm not doing anything about it. If that's you in here, I want to just ask you to stand to your feet so that we can pray together as a church. Man, pray for me because I need boldness. None of you? Y'all are all bold? That's amazing. It's the best church I've ever been in. I need boldness. Boldness. There's, there's something that we need to carry. There's a passion that we need to begin to get back. Listen, y'all are starting a series next week on reaching the lost, reaching this city. 
you would give them the words to speak, that you would give them the boldness, that you would give them the passion, the desire to not just see hurting and dying people, but to step up and to share life, to speak life. Why? Because all we need to do is love. Holy Spirit, it's your job to change. God, it's your job to judge. Give them boldness to love those around them. In Jesus' name, and everybody stand. Amen, amen. Come on, give God some praise.